Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Another episode of Hey Human Podcast for your listening pleasure. In this episode, I had a wonderful conversation with my dear friend Justin Levinson, and he and I discuss his discovery of a brain tumor in his brain pan, and we talk about life and relationships and the journey and choices and anxiety and all sorts of things. Um, We talk about some things that, of course, will end up being linked to on my heyhumanpodcast.com books and centers, Gilda's Club, um, uh, just all sorts of stuff. Anyway, you know that if you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, you will find the links to things that we talk about in these various episodes. And... Please subscribe on iTunes to Hey Human. That's what it's under. Um, Everywhere else it's Hey Human Podcast, but on iTunes it's just Hey Human. Uh, When you subscribe, share with your friends. Please review it. Um, If you take a minute to to say what you think about it. And thank you for listening, as always. uh, HeyHumanPodcast.com is the website. I'm on Instagram. Instagram.com slash HeyHumanPodcast. I'm also on Facebook dot com slash hey human podcast you get the idea it's out there in the world hopefully it will spread throughout like a wildfire all right um yeah it's an interesting expression like a wildfire when you want something to spread like a wildfire even though wildfire is bad and there's people trying to put it out so i guess thinking about that i don't want it to spread like a wildfire because i don't want anybody to put it out so Let's just hope it spreads like, I don't even know what, peanut butter? That's a good thing. <laughs> All right. Hope you enjoy. Is this your lip balm? It is my lip balm. It's my fave. I have these little balls all over the house. So whatever room I'm in. You got them handy. I have moist lips in. <laughs> People hate the word moist. I don't know why I, it is. Yeah, I like the word moist. My friend last night, I was at her house and her little sister, there's a whole, there's a litany of words she can't stand so if she's listening she's gonna about to shudder it's let's see peppermint moist she doesn't like that word um peppermint though what seems strange this is who doesn't my like friend these? ellen's little sister oh. um so there's, there's all, all sorts of words that she can't are you recording stand. right now maybe oh all right <laughs> hi justin levinson hi susan ruth <laughs> how are you i'm well thanks for being on hey human Hey, thanks for having me. Sorry, I just ambushed you by having that all over. Yeah. <laughs> like, Justin. oh, so she's going to be hearing about our lip balm conversation. Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's, this is, I think they're called EOS. Yeah, EOS. Is that right? EOS? That's what I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. EOS. I mean, brilliant packaging. Yeah. The, the round thing is awesome. You know, I was trying to think of something funny to say, but I, <laughs> I've held a lot of these in my hand. But I've not once touched them to my lip. Do you want to try it? Kind of. Do it. All right. I know where you've been mostly. Uh It's all clean. (laughs) Mm. Isn't that nice? Minty. And I keep, I try and deviate to other flavors. Um, They have a a raspberry Mm. one in my car. um, And there's an orange one on my windowsill in the kitchen. I'm not a fan of the orange one. No? Mint is my all-time favorite. Mm, I feel the minty freshness on my lips. Yeah, it's like a little tingle. Yeah, I love it. Can you smell the vinegar in my mm-hmm. house? I cleaned my house this morning. With no, vinegar. I can't smell vinegar. Oh, okay. Right now I'm just... It evaporates pretty fast. Uh, minty, fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wash the floors tomorrow with water and tea tree oil. 
I'm excited to see how that turns out. I've never done it before, but I just read about it online. Hopefully your listeners can uh, feel the vibe of your house. It's strong. Is it? There are really vibey things in every direction of my view right now. (laughs) I do like my house. It does feel very me in here. Yeah. As soon as I was looking through the door, knocking on the door, like, this is definitely your house. (laughs) Feels like Susan here. Yay. That's good. Yeah, uh, it's interesting having a house. I, sometimes I've been here now, I think a year and a half, and as I wander through the house, I still think, "This is weird. This is my house." If I want to spray paint the wall, I can. If I want to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to, but yeah. it's very strange. It's freedom. It's a very weird feeling to be like, "Oh, this is this is my house. It's all mine." Doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. Then again, when something happens. That's horrifying. Like, for example, I just had to replace the AC and furnace. It's my house also. <laughs> it's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Did you smell the ozone when you came in? I didn't. So the, the machine that I got, the AC and furnace unit, it has a, an ozone thing. Um, oh. It takes supposed to take 99% of the icky out of the air. Oh. And um, I called the guy and I said, you know, ozone's not really great for people. I said, is this a, an issue? Because I really smell it. And he said, nah, in about two weeks, it'll chill out. But right now, it's just kind of working really hard. And oh, said, wow. Oh, okay. Well, so we have icky-free air and icky-free water in my glass, thanks to your filter. This is beautiful. This, is this not the best water ever? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's pretty it's, great. This is the problem, though. It spoiled me. because I have, And I carry around my um, gallon jug of water that mm-hmm. I get from my tap. And I bring it with me for my day. And mm-hmm. I drink it or whatever. And... um. Now when I go to restaurants and things, because I'm a little brat, I can't drink the water in the restaurants because it tastes so chlorinated oh. and gross. Or, or they call it Cumberland Punch around here. Yeah, it's not a great water, and so um, now I drink fizzy water, like soda yeah. water, and lime when I'm out. Nice. <sighs> becoming high maintenance, and it, it's inexpensive. Pro tip here. Yeah. Careful the volume of fizzy water. It can upset your stomach a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I usually only do one. It's weird because it's more filling. Yeah. If I'm at a restaurant and I'm drinking regular water, I can get three or four down. But mm-hmm. you know what's good? What's up? <laughs> Let's talk about water. You know what's good? Water at a restaurant in town is Thai Siam on really? Paul. Not the one. I, I don't I don't go to the one on, on Whitebridge. But same owners. But the Thai Siam on McCall Street is off the hook. It's really? such good food. And their water's really good. I wow. drink six or seven glasses of that stuff. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> it's good. So you thought you were listening to Hey Human Podcast. Today <laughs> is all about H2O. Yes. Well, you know, we're, it, we're a lot of water. Yeah. Hey, it's a very I human never, thing. I never remember how much water we are, but I know it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a high percentage. And I wonder if people who are more, um, as you and I would say, woo-woo, people who are more into our spirit and like, mm-hmm. our whatever, if we're more electrical... Maybe, and so we mm. need more water to conduct all of our madness. Maybe. I think about that, too. I always feel at home by the water. Maybe that's because mm. I'm all the water. Are or... you? Wait, wait, your birthday's in... Are you Pisces? I'm a Sagittarius. Are you Sagittarian? Oh, I'm Sagittarian rising. Oh. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I think mm. it means I like freedom. That's okay. Right. That's probably okay. not a good thing. Anyway. Hi, Justin. <laughs> Hi. Take two. Where I'm calling from podcast. No, it's not where no, I'm calling from. That's the other one. Oh, this is Hey Human. Sorry. <laughs> that was a plug for the other one. <laughs> yes, where I'm calling from is the one I do with Kathy McHugh, where we talk about 
anything and everything. This is Hey Human, where we just talk about you. All right. Mostly. I mean, and what? water and restaurants. <laughs> and <laughs> well, uh, well, I don't, I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, packaged. Well packaged lip balm. It really is. Yeah. I wish I had thought of it. I know. It really took off. It's fine. I wonder if they did testing where they stuck a chapstick, which of course is cylindrical long, mm-hmm. and they stuck the EOS next to it, and then they just waited to see what people would pick up and use. I don't know, but if the marketing director or the marketing department from EOS is listening, we do accept <gasps> sponsorships, endorsements, oh etc. Please fill my house with these things. I love them. The peppermint especially. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. They they keep coming out with new flavors, but um, I don't know. I'm a tried and true girl. I'm with that. Keep it simple. I'm the Labrador retriever of chapsticks. <laughs> <laughs> well, the tingles... Still there on my Isn't lips, that so nice? it's nice. It's so nice. I've uh, I got a rash in uh, over Memorial Weekend. I I don't on my face really bad, like wow. almost hivish. Is hivish a word? I don't know. But yeah. um, they the doctor the dermatologist said, well, we don't know what's causing it. We have no idea. And so they their answer, of course, is to put me on antibiotics for a yeah. month. So I went on antibiotics for a month, and it didn't it kind of help, but not really. Mm. And then. I was in the Whole Foods body, whole body mm-hmm. thing, and I gandered at the tea tree oil, and oh, I thought, you know what? Screw the antibiotics. I took them the way you're yeah. supposed to. I didn't leave any in the bottle or anything. But then I'd, every morning and every night, I started soaking a cotton ball in water and then adding tea tree, and then using mm-hmm. that. I'll be damned. It totally works. Cleaned it up. I smell like a spa all the time. <laughs> Perfect. But whatever. So... That's. I kind of want to smell like whole body when I go in there. I'm like, oh, I like it this. It smells so good. Right? I know. I can't I, afford a store full of thirty dollar candles. I know. But but now they're saying that that the stuff that goes into the even the soy candles, that the stuff mm-hmm. that like alters your DNA and it's really bad and blah blah blah. Hey. So I did a bunch of research on that and found that beeswax candles are the only ones that don't do that. You can't get them. There can be no scent in them at all. It's just straight wow. up beeswax. So I burn them every day, and they're supposed to also filter the air. Huh. It's exhausting. We're recording this in the cleanest house in Nashville. <laughs> this is beautiful. Exactly. Anyway, hi, Justin. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Hey Human. So you are one of my most favoritest persons on the planet, and maybe the universe. I haven't been that far out yet, but probably you would still be up there on my yeah. list. You too. Thanks. Because if I've been out there, I don't remember it right now. So That's we'll true. just say, from where we are today, you're one of my favorites Thank as well. Thank you. That's nice. Um, so I wanted to have you on here, not only because you're awesome, but because you had a very intense experience not mm-hmm. so long ago. Take us through that. Okay. Well, uh, I'll take you through a little timeline. Okay. So it's February 3rd, 2014, and it's a normal post-Super Bowl party kind of day. Uh, I'm at work on Music Row in Nashville, got a little hangover, working through it, thinking about lunch, thinking about cooking dinner for my friends that night, and then bam, uh, the next thing I know, I'm waking up on my office floor, surrounded by paramedics, uh, being asked basic questions like who the president is, and what I later learned is what's called a neuro check, Uh, and then uh, I'm quickly escorted out of the building on a stretcher into an ambulance, for a quick and speedy ride over to Vanderbilt, his uh, emergency room. Uh, and that's when the fun really started. Uh, first, I did a, a CT scan, which came back, quote, irregular. Uh, and then they had me do an MRI. Uh, and I had some friends that had come and gone through the day. And uh, I found myself at this point sitting in the ER room alone. 
and uh, knock, knock on the door and five doctors walk in. And uh, their message that day was that I had a brain tumor. And at the time, they thought it was about an egg-shaped tumor. And my... Okay, stop. <laughs> five doctors walk in and say, by the way, you have an, a brain tumor. Yeah. What, what the heck went they, through your mind in that very second? The first words out of my mouth, uh, totally divinely guided, were, and I quote, this is going to be the most amazingly positive experience of my life. I'm going to help so many people through this experience. Wow. And this does not happen to someone like me in this way for no reason. Uh, these doctors, most of them, I think, were residents. There was one fellow, uh, meaning I was at least their age, if not older than every one of them. And they're kind of looking around going, who the F is this guy? We just told you you had a brain tumor. And uh, I really forget the rest of what they had to say. I think, you know, the on-call doctor was going to come, yeah. or et cetera. Uh, and yeah, they basically told me I had a brain tumor. My parents had been uh, aware of what was going on and kind of been waiting to hear if they should drive up from Birmingham. Uh, their message to me was that I, I don't remember this, but that I called them and I wouldn't tell them what was going on, but I said, it's time for you to come up. Uh, and so then I was in the ER until my parents came to pick me up that night. And then I let them know what was going on. Uh, and the doctor said, we have to get this out of you? Yeah, so ultimately, they let me go. I never saw the attending physician or the on-call like main doctor that night. And uh, we went and had dinner and went home. And we're kind of laughing, going, well, at least they don't think it's cancer. And Because uh, some of the doctors had mentioned, oh, I don't think this is cancerous because of this. And I'm kind of, okay. Wait, you can have a tumor and it not be cancer? Well... Good question, Susan. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I didn't know one way or the other whether that could be the case or not. I've later learned that all tumors are technically cancer. Okay. Uh, it really depends on uh, the makeup of the tumor. Sure. Uh, because cancer, like you know, other words like Republican or Democrat, as we're in that season, is like you know, one word is really hard to. I can't be defined as one word. Well, there's lots of different types of cancer, lots of different types of brain cancer, or leg cancer, or not leg cancer, but you know, liver or whatever kind of cancer, right? Uh, it probably is, unfortunately. Yeah. If you're suffering for that and listening, I do wish you well. Uh, so the next day, I get a phone call early in the morning from uh, a surgeon at Vanderbilt, who his first thing he said to me was that he was he was apologizing, and he said, "I'm really sorry that they let you leave last night without talking to me, because I would never want my family." to be released from the hospital after hearing that without talking to a doctor. So they should not have let you go home oh, last wow. night, that was nice which I thought that was really great. Uh, I went and saw him, I believe later that day, if not maybe the next day. And he again says, here's what we think it is. Uh, we're going to do surgery. And we had scheduled a surgery, a craniotomy, which is a fancy word for brain surgery, uh, for a couple weeks out into the future, which if anyone listening knows the medical timeline, that's pretty quick uh, for hospital scheduling. Uh, and in our consult that day, he says, you know, kind of laying out the schedule, the, you know, what was going to happen before surgery. And sure. again, said, we don't think this is cancerous. So we think it's, you know, whatever else. Okay. Well, then all of a sudden I realized I had an appointment scheduled with, uh, an oncologist at the Vanderbilt Ingram Cancer Center. And I kept wondering, why the hell am I having a, an appointment there? I really don't know. And uh, we go in and the doctor walks in and he goes, well, so you already saw the surgeon. Did he steal my thunder? said, yeah, he told me that it's probably uh, likely not cancer, and it's this and this and this and blah, and he stops. He goes, no, it's most definitely cancerous. 
all tumors are cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was maybe like the second yeah. level of the stomach drop uh, through this journey of, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Uh, so I told you it's all started on February 3rd. So February 20th, I have surgery at Vanderbilt. Yes. And I go in for surgery. They had to take your top off. They took a good chunk of my skull off, which I have a picture of my brain that my surgeon <gasps> took with his oh, iPhone. I totally see that. It's the best show and tell ever. Uh, it's really amazing. And uh, It'd be really hard for me there not to go squish, squish. I know. Right? <laughs> Even when I look at the picture now, I'm like, ooh, I don't want to play with it. That's your brain. Yeah, my brain's been exposed to air, which is kind of uh, something... If only it had been here, it would have been really clean air. The super cleanest, <laughs> most non-yucky, to use your word, air. Uh, icky. Icky. Sorry, not yucky. Icky. So, the uh, surgery was a success. Uh, they call it a, quote, perfect resection. Mm. Uh, the tumor ended up being about the size of a tennis ball. Holy cow. And it was in my left frontal lobe. Your head's the size of a tennis ball. <laughs> my head's the size of an oversized basketball. Yeah. But that's okay. Hard to uh, believe a tennis ball could get in there. Well, I know. And as a kid, I always used to have to bring my own batting helmets to uh, like Little League Baseball because I didn't have one that fit my head. So <laughs> I always had this jumbo noggin. That's so weird. Uh, and then I ended up growing a little baby tumor in it. Uh, Where the heck is a tennis... I mean, a tennis ball is big. big. Where the heck was it going? Was it just like squishing into your brain? And you that's know, what caused the seizure? Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure. Like, you know, They think the tumor was there for five years. Uh, because it had started to calcify or turn to bone in the middle of it. So that's part of how they age it, apparently. So they believe that it was there for about five years. So just thinking about, you know, five times 365, what, we're at 15, 16, 1700 days, something like ever, that the tumor's in my head. And didn't know. And, but it decided. The reason why those words came out of my mouth in the ER is because I had already seen in my mind, wow. I could have had this seizure driving down the road and killed myself and yeah. whoever else. I could have had this seizure in my condo alone when I lived alone and never nobody, woken up and nobody yeah. would have known. But instead, this seizure presented and I had a seizure, excuse me, the tumor presented by way of a seizure at the exact moment that my boss's assistant was walking by my office door. Oh my she God. saw me falling backwards out of my chair onto the floor and set this whole thing in motion. That's why I'm alive today. I truly believe that. Like She helped save my life that day. Uh, so why did it present then? I don't know, but I have to believe it was divinely guided. It was supposed to happen yeah. because what you know, and our listeners don't know yet is that this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I would not give it up for the world, uh, because I, I feel like I was made for this. Yeah. And so those words that came out of me, whether you're a God believer or more of a, you know, a universal peace and love or whatever it is. That was divinely guided, right? That just came out. And that was, thankfully, it's been the frame around this whole experience. Uh, through the ups and the downs and everywhere in between, I've always been able to take a step back and know that this was supposed to happen. This is a good thing. Did, you always, did you always think, I'm going to live through this? I always knew it. You always knew yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I always knew this wasn't going to kill me right now. I feel now. like we all knew that, too, because I remember like texting you like, oh, no, you totally... Yeah have this this is fun i would have died if i was supposed to die from this right then it would have happened happen. differently yeah right the other thing that would have happened is i wouldn't have survived surgery right because going into that brain surgery i was told hey there's a chance that you could not wake up right because we're gonna you know put you under i've always heard that they keep you awake during brain surgery no i was out for six hours uh 
There was also a chance I could be paralyzed from the waist down. So imagine being a 35-year-old single male. What's the first thing you think about Your when... Penis. Exactly. Yay. Uh, so <laughs> as part of what we'll probably get to here is... Uh, Wait, you know, which lobe was it in? In the left frontal lobe. Okay. And where it was on the left side, it was somehow intersecting with a big blood vessel that controlled the nice. bottom half of my body. So the doctor said that when he went to go cut it off of that area, he said it just lifted right off. So again, divinely guided, I could be paralyzed. Wow. But I'm... Can you imagine being a doctor that has to do brain, any kind of intricate yeah. vein surgery or, I mean... Just These guys are geniuses. Do not drink coffee that morning. How do totally. they do it? It's crazy. Yeah. I could barely get a sliver out of my finger without it looking like a giant, you know, ant attack yeah. or something. And these guys cut into my skull. <laughs> so crazy. And like sewed it all back up and it's I'm here. So weird. <laughs> you know? It's so weird. I know. There, there are, I would say like all my doctors and the doctors that I'll tell you about in a minute that I started seeing, yeah. they're all like the total geeks in high school. That while I was too busy chasing girls and playing drums and smoking pot in the parking lot, they were taking like AP calculus yeah. and all that stuff. And like, I'm so glad, right? You saved my life. Uh, or now at they least they helped me. <laughs> Maybe. Are we allowed to say that? I think so. Okay. Kitty I mean, cat. I hope they save me some. Like, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Please, don't take it all. <laughs> They definitely make all the bucks. If they're listening, though, that made them laugh. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I'll be your wingman any day. (laughs) So basically, then I call it the kick in the nuts appointment. So it's a week after surgery. You can't say that. No, I'm just kidding. You can say pussy, but I can't say nuts. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, So I uh, go to uh, Vanderbilt to kind of find out what the pathology was of the tumor. And at the time, I had been staying post-surgery with uh, a married couple friend of mine Mm because I couldn't be alone for a few weeks. So they were there with me. And the doctor... That was a really good time for you. I remember you were talking about... Wasn't there a dog there? There was. There was these two dogs. Oh, God. These dogs knew what was going on. Yeah. Uh, And so you brought the dog. I would say one of them was a a shepherd... uh, What is it? Some kind of Australian sheepdog. Yeah. And that dog, every time I got up from the sofa to go to the bathroom, to go wherever, was right here by my side, nudging me on my leg. And then one night, I was in bed in my guest room at their house, and I started feeling very, very anxious. Because at the time, I was very nervous I was going to have another seizure, and there was a lot of anxiety I was trying to work through. And uh, I got up, decided I was going to go to the bathroom and kind of wash my hands and kind of just take some deep breaths. As soon as I opened the door, that dog was sitting right at the outside of my door. So that dog had felt me being anxious and was waiting outside my door for me. And now at this point, I had been in my room for a couple hours. So it's not like I had just gone to bed. So that dog knew what was up uh, and would lay on top of me on the sofa. Uh, when they knew I was having like an anxious moment, both dogs immediately would be laying on my lap without any invitation. I love dogs. I know. So amazing. I've later learned that there's three things in life that three of beings that soak up everything around them. Babies, plants, and dogs. No matter what. They soak up every bit of energy and emotion, etc. around them. So interesting. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, but basically that kick in the nuts appointment was, going back to that day at Vanderbilt, was, yeah. all right, it's a little more serious than we thought. Uh, it's right on the borderline between a grade 2 and grade 3 tumor, so we're going to treat it like a grade 3. Uh, we I mean, think, is that a size? Yeah, thing? that's okay. a more like, you know, you hear people say stage four, stage yeah. three, stage one. That's really grade three, grade okay. four, grade, okay. right? So pretty serious. That said, it's the good kind of brain cancer. And we think that you have these other rare mutations that we'll know in the next day or two or whatever that would really be like the best kind of brain cancer you can have. 
pause, the best kind of brain cancer you can have. I thought, yeah, what? Uh, but that was amazing, right? And so immediately we start talking about what was going to happen. And it was going to be six and a half weeks of chemotherapy and radiation treatment. And then some months off. And then we we're going to start a 12-month round of chemotherapy. So was it in your whole body or was it isolated to the brain? So it's through the whole body. And so what he said is, look, we got all the tumor out. But we know there's still some cells that exist that we can't see with an MRI. So we're going to shoot radiation around your brain in a certain targeted area to kill those cells. And, oh, I'm electric, baby. Uh, did you it, save your sperm out? No. No. I did Did they not. ask you about that? Uh, no. And I asked them about that, and they kind of played it off. And it was a week before I was supposed to start. And so I just, you know, I threw it up to the universe. And I'm supposed to have kids. I'm going to have kids. And if not, I love kids. And I'm happy to like yeah, okay. be a great uncle and a great like volunteer. I just started reading the kindergarten class, by the way. It's awesome. Uh, so... Uh, basically I started a chemotherapy and radiation regimen yeah. and it was daily and uh, obviously I'm out of work at this time and you know it was what it was uh, they would always say oh you're going to sail right through this this is the good kind of chemo and okay I wouldn't necessarily call it sail right through it but I do know that I would always envision there's some 80 year old grandma who's got the rough kind of chemo with a port in her that she's toughing out right now. I can do this. I can tough this out because mine was chemo via pill. Yeah. Uh, and as much as it didn't make me feel great, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. I knew it could be a lot worse. Uh, and so I started chemotherapy and radiation and the radiation was me wearing a custom fitted mask to myself and being you know, on a table restrained by this mask, which was like, whoa, it was intense. But this was the first time that this moment where they started giving me drugs I didn't take and I didn't need them because I was using my mind. And Explain that. And that's, initially, it was, here's some Ativan for you, which is, is like Xanax, lorazepam, it's a benzo type of drug. Meaning uh, anti-anxiety. Yeah, exactly. You, you can take this if you do MRIs again and get nervous or when you're on the radiation table. Well, the radiation table, you're restrained by your head. You can't move. You're laying there for 15 to 30 minutes depending on the day and what they have to do that day pretty anxious experience. Well, I had been given a meditation, a guided meditation link where I started meditating. And through that, I've learned about counting your breathing. And so this is when I talk to people about meditation and people are always like, Ooh, it's kind of woo woo to use my friend Susan's uh, I word. word. I know you do. And I use it because of you. Uh, but, uh, the real life meditation is like I was counting my breathing. Right. And so every day for those 33 treatments, even my last one, I would count my breathing and it's just inhale like one, one, exhale two, up to 10 and repeat. Oh. And it's a beautiful way to start meditating. Uh, and as you notice your mind start wandering, you just bring it right back to your breath in a very loving and, and open way. Mm-hmm. My point is that I didn't have to take pharmaceuticals because I really wanted to make sure that I was using my brain and really working hard to, to be in control of my anxiety yeah. and work through that. And it really helped me. Um, so the radiation went as well as it can. Did you I, get nausea? Uh, I didn't get nausea from the radiation. I was definitely nauseous from the chemo because at that time I was taking the chemo every day. Yeah. Uh, like a lower dose than I later took in life. But uh, I was taking chemo every day and radiation every day. By the end of it, uh, I definitely was feeling worn down. It was the fatigue that they said can happen from radiation. I felt that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I remember my first trips to the cancer center getting out at the little valet by the cancer center and feeling great and seeing people slowly get out of their cars that I could tell weren't feeling well. And then I remember being two months later 
and getting out of my friend's car and feeling like, oh, just not sore, but just tired. And all of a sudden I was there. Like I was experiencing what I'd seen some of these other people. That said though, every time I'm in there, even last week when I'm in that cancer center, I'm not dying. Yeah, we're all dying, but I'm, but I'm not dying right now. And so those people are angels that work in there and they're around suffering, negative, death, et cetera, often. So I'm always the one like dancing with them in there, flirting with them, bringing them candy, et cetera, because they're angels. Um, so anyway, they were amazing and I made some great friends there, uh, that I'm still friends with now, thankfully. And yeah. uh, but the old adage: it takes a friend to be a friend. Yeah. You're so loving oh, and, and open. You. I think that 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 draws as well and well, thank allows you. people to be that way back. I appreciate that, and yeah. I think so too. And it's ultimately selfishly, I just feel comfortable when I'm able to be myself and kind of flirty, and yeah. and it made me feel at home. I remember uh, coming into your um, your room post surgery and. And there was a handful of us and the nurses and stuff coming in and they just loved you so much. Of hey, course. Another pro tip. If you're ever in the hospital, make friends slash flirt with the nurses because they'll take good care of you. Yeah. <laughs> and when you get a couple of sponge baths out of that? Unfortunately, not. My mom was around. Oh, But no. they did let me have more guests than I was supposed to have. Yes, and they kind of turned their head the yes, other way. Yeah. Well, so. I think they saw how, how loved you are and that there would be a people it was amazing yeah uh great friends rabbis other clergy it was really great yeah uh that came did you have any um so did you have conversations with god along the way yeah with god or the universe or something definitely i you know in the the two and a half weeks before seizure and surgery those are the most intense right i was very more than one seizure no, but just oh. that first seizure. Oh, okay. Uh, I was very nervous and anxious that I was going to have another seizure and I'm just very uncomfortable. But one thing I really did is look at death. Uh, one, from a, a, my own perspective of being prepared to die. Right. And the other, I was. I am, I am now. I'm not afraid of it. Because uh, my spirituality is rooted in the fact uh, that it's not the, this life is not the beginning. Thus, this death is not the end. And uh, whether that means I'm going to go be a tree next or an ant or just a human, that's cool. I'm all about that. Uh, I can't picture you being an ant. I can't either, although I'd be a great one. Uh, I wouldn't mind being a big, big, like, redwood tree. Oh. You know, pot's legal there. In California. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Northern California, great weather. There's wine and cheese in my roots. You know, seems good. Uh, But no, I, I, I... I don't know if I talked to God or talked to the universe, but I definitely kind of got right with it all and looked at my life and felt comfortable knowing that I'm very loved uh, and that if I die, then I die and that's it. And then I realized, no, not at all. And I realized that dying sucks worse for the people that are left living than it really does for the people that die. And there was a, I never looked at it like that because I don't think I'd ever faced my own mortality in such a real way. Our friend Tim Johnson wrote a song, God Only Cries for the Living. There you go. That's beautiful. Uh, I experienced that song uh, fully uh, and told my parents that, right? And the other way that I really looked at death is that I had to get all my business in order, Mm -hmm. right? So a living will and a medical power of attorney and... Nothing like standing in our friend Chip's office. Yeah, I was say with, Chip probably helped. Oh yeah, that. with like witnesses watching me sign and notarize or have notarized this document, saying you know that all my assets go to my nephew or this yeah. or that. Uh, so both on the business side, the spiritual side, and just the relationship side with friends and family, I got right with it. Uh, 
but this is also where I began to use what I had learned and what I was given at the time through the universe of the power of positivity. Yeah. Right? So when I said I was made for this, my goal before I knew I had cancer or brain tumor the day before this, February 2nd, was to go teach people about the power of positivity and how your subconscious mind can manifest the life that you want. Uh, I've been raised like that. I've speak to all my friends about that i correct their words hell i think i've probably corrected a word or two from your life probably. through the years I'm i was sure. like you know because our words are important yeah. i correct my own too you know yeah. that when our fears and our words they manifest the life that we want and so one of the things i think is important is creating positive visions for your outcome that you want yeah. and also through this i began to learn about creating a chorus of that positivity uh because there's power in numbers and the other thing that does is it manages the people's anxiety around me because I quickly realized that if you walk in my room and you are massively anxious about me and nervous about me, I feel it without you even opening your mouth. I don't want to feel Energetically. that. Energetically. Of course. Yeah. So the more I can manage your anxiety through my experience and about my experience, the healthier it's going to be for me. I, I do that covertly or I did that covertly. Uh, and also overtly sometimes I would say, excuse me, let's just not talk about that. I don't, I don't need to talk about that. Uh, but what I did is start painting this picture of what I wanted, which is a perfect procedure and perfect procedure meant that I'm waking up in the, uh, you know, recovery room in the ICU flirting with nurses and having a hard on. And the reason those two things are important is because Vitality. that, well, but that is perhaps, but more on a, a basic level, those were the manifestations I wanted. If I'm flirting with nurses, I've got my personality. So one, I'm alive, check two. I've not been altered. My personality has not been really altered because, as you know, I'm, I'm a flirty. Frontal is a big part of the brain exactly. as far as that goes. Exactly. And so I'm there. I've got my personality. And if I have a hard-on, that means I'm not paralyzed. Yeah. Right? So all of a sudden... I love the, that it was, I'll have a hard-on, not I can wiggle my toes. That's very Justin of you. Yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> I'm a single guy. I'm a sexual being. I you know? know you are. Uh, we made out once a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it was great. It was good. You're a good kisser. You are, too. Yeah, it's the first time I made out in a closet in a while. <laughs> So was it the it was uh, a, Seven Minutes in Heaven? Seven Minutes in Heaven. It was the Seven Deadly Sins party. That was amazing. There was a there was a makeout closet for yeah. That was also a confessional with a friend in a priest outfit. Yeah, he got a lot of action. I Apparently, think he might there are a lot of people that have fantasies about having sex with a priest. So he got a lot of he did in the confessional booth. That was such a fun party. That was goodness. Anyway, go on. Yeah, moving uh, on. Moving on. Oh, I'm distracted. Uh... <laughs> I don't even know what we're saying now. I, my mind Your is... positivity oh. hard-ons. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, but ultimately, it, that was the beginning of that, of getting my friends to think about that and my family to think about that. So in those two and a half weeks, in addition to personally and business-wise being prepared to die, it was also gearing up to live, mm -hmm. right? And knowing that, no, we're getting through this and this means something. And I don't know what it means yet, but I know I'm supposed to go take this and do something. How were your parents through this? They were freaking out, I think. They were trying to hide their freak out from me. Yeah. Uh, but Because it, you said you were raised with this mentality of like, it's all how you perceive, but suddenly their child. Yeah. No parent wants to bury their child. No. And on top of that, you know, as we are, our proverbial cup in our gut, right, of anxiety that always ebbs and flows for all of us. Mm -hmm. I like to say many times, like if your cup's full, all it takes is one little drop of water and it's an overflow, right? So at that point, my parents' cup in their own lives was probably not full, but had plenty of stuff going on in their own life. So to have your son on top of that, now having brain surgery and brain yeah. cancer, et cetera, yeah. that's a lot. 
I do think one thing that helped them is when they got up here and they saw the love of this community around me yeah. in all these different ways, I think it, it allowed them to at least ease that a little bit. Sure. And my dad always said to me, Justin, the one wish I have for you in life is that you experience true love. He would also say a different way. He said that I hope that you experience the love of a woman uh, in your life because I think that will help you be fully balanced. And I totally agree. Uh, but when he came up here right before surgery, he said, Justin, I was wrong. I thought you were going to experience love for the first time like I did, which was through your mom and through a woman. But as I watch this community wrap their arms around you with texts, calls, Facebook, emails, you know, cards in the mail, T-shirts made to raise money for me so I could have an Uber fund because I wasn't allowed to drive for six months, and then even life-size T-shirts that they put on the roundabout statues and at 4.30 a.m. the morning I went to surgery, 20 of them were out there, had been up partying all night. Sounds like a good party. Uh, but had been up there partying and were there cheering me on with signs of Go Justin as my dad drove me to the hospital. And they had coordinated that with my dad. So amazing. He said, Justin, this community loves you, right? And so you are experiencing love, which is so the beautiful. kind. The purest kind. Because that is one of the biggest growth things for me. That love of this community tore down, I want, I want to give myself still room to grow, but the majority of the walls I had had up in my life at kind of keeping love at an arm's distance, uh, because I'd done that. I liked the casualness. It was safer than like getting love. And I would always say, oh, I don't want the drama of that. Well, okay. I do want that love. And so throughout, and even as I sit here now, but over the past two and a half years, I crave that because what I realized what happens is that love bursts it all down and everybody circles the wagons. And then slowly, everything kind of gets back to a new normal, and everybody goes back to their own lives, as they should, right? Yeah. But then it was this void of, well, oh, I want love. Damn. Where do I go get that? Because I didn't want the booty call, right? I didn't want the casualness of that. I don't want that now. I want that depth. Uh, so that was all part of what was going on pre-surgery. Uh, in addition to the like, conversation with my mom and dad and sister of, hey, if I die tomorrow, you got to get your shit together. Because what's going on here is not working for you all or this family in these ways. And I think I probably ruffled some feathers there a little bit with some of those comments. But it was what I felt like I needed to say. Did they hear you? Uh, I think they did. Uh, I'd like to hope that they did. I know that they've, they've made progress from where they are today from where they were then. Uh, I think for a long time uh, they've looked at me as like the golden child. That perhaps you know everything I touch turns to gold. Which couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, I think all of us are faced with opportunities and challenges that we can grow or not grow. And I've just tried to hit them all head on. Uh, so if anything, this was an opportunity for them and other people to see that shit happens to me too, right? Yeah. You know, I almost got somebody pregnant that I barely knew six years before that. And I remember I, that one Right? Too. That was crazy. Yeah. Right? But talk about learning responsibility for your actions, right? And getting out easy, but learn, having a big lesson, right, of life. Uh, but it's all how we deal with things. And so for me, my mind is very key in that. And I really think for all of us, our mind is key. And thus, the affirmations, the visualizations, the course of this positivity around me, the meditations. And even now, first thing this morning when I woke up, through the power of my subconscious mind, I bring peace to my life. I have perfect health. I welcome love with open arms. Uh, all those kind of affirmations are just daily, before and after, or, you know, right as I wake up and right before I go to sleep. It's just a part of how I was raised. Uh, so I do think it added stress to them. My mom would later say in some of her kind of stressful times or, you know, that 
of all the stuff she had going on and then my stuff, my stuff, my stuff. So I know that she had a hard time with that. Well, it's interesting because you say it's how I was raised is to have this this blissfulness, this mm-hmm. thoughtfulness, this manifestationness, you know, and all that. And yet here are the people that raised you struggling. Totally. That's I think in some ways they still struggle. And so they were more, this is do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> yeah, but I think it shows the imperfection of all of us humans. Yeah. Right? And that we all have room to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, because recently, and uh, my I'm period with my mom, that's what I said. I said, Mom, listen to what you're saying. You taught me all this stuff. Yeah. So let's go back to what we know. Let's go back to what you taught me. Because when I listen to the words that you're saying, it's like you don't remember what you taught me. And how impactful that has been in our lives. And they know that. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe there's something wise to say about that. Even the teachers need to be taught and refreshed, oh, right? I, I think that is uh, absolutely true. I know that's what I want. I want to go teach other people, but I really hope I can still continue to have teachers in my life. Hey, we we keep learning until the day we drop dead. Hopefully, right? Yeah, definitely. We know nothing. To know anything is to know you know nothing. There it is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it is ironic or whatever it is that you know that that was what they were dealing with. But look how I can teach them and show them of like through my success and continued failure through all of that. Of like, you know, they talk to me on great days and days where I'm a little stressed, right? But then I try to just lead by example of I do the best I can. Like nothing's perfect and we all have crap that comes up in our life, whether it's cancer or breakups or being cheated on or getting fired or losing a parent or a grandparent or a dog, rest in peace, Mikey, Mikey. Uh, or whatever it is, we have these things that happen in life. Yeah. So even it happened this week, people are like, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, man. How are you? And they go, oh, well, I'm okay. Well, I can't complain around you. I'm like, no, 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 no. Shut up. Because my life is beautiful. And even when I had a massive head wound from surgery across my head, I would tell you that life is beautiful. And you can own the fact that you're not having a good day because you got broken up with or your dog died or whatever. And that could be just as traumatic for you absolutely, as this was for me. Well, this is a sickness that is in humanity is that we do not touch our pain, mm-hmm. our sadness and our depression. We shove it down. We go, oh, well, that guy's got it worse. We've all got We've all got what we have. Yeah. And it's okay to feel it. You know? Totally. Well, yeah. because I believe that the phrase, oh, we'll get over that, or I'll get over that, is BS. Because no, the real thing should be, I'll grow through that. Because until you feel it, it yeah. it's not going anywhere. That's why I started seeing a therapist eight weeks ago. Because I, like, use the analogy, I want to shine a light in every corner of my path. Because I love me. And if I love me, then I should love every single thing that brought me to me today. Otherwise, I don't love me. In my opinion. I love Uh, therapy. I love it. I love having an unbiased third party. uh, But I want to feel through all of that. And I want to make sure every dark whatever or light corner of my path is fully felt. Do you see a man or a woman therapist? A man. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's great. Did you go through a couple different people or did you you head it off? So this, um, I don't want to tell too much of my parents' business, but there was something really heavy that came up that I was not, I'm not able to deal with. I'm not a professional. And it was with my mom and dad, and there was meltdowns, and my mom was struggling with some stuff. And um, I woke up the next morning after, like, the craziest experience I've ever had uh, with them, and just really, like, I could use a friend. I don't really want to talk about this stuff with anybody, but wow, of course, then boom, my phone rings, and it's my good friend Dan, 
uh, says, hey, you want to get lunch today? <laughs> yes, right on time. So we have lunch, we're talking, and he's a very wise and mature person and is able to deal with life. And so we start talking about it. And this is what I went through yesterday. And man, your call is right on time. He says, dude, you're a very strong person, but even the strongest Superman needs some help sometimes. And I said, I agree, man. I would love a referral. So he referred me to this guy who at first said he was too busy or didn't have any room for new patients. And then I never got around to booking someone else. And a month later, he reached back out saying, I got it. And so this guy's out of network. I pay cash. And so far, I have not even been... I haven't heard back from Cigna. Hi, Cigna. Uh, if about what they're going to pay, but I don't care because it's been really great. And it's been great to have an unbiased third party to call me out on anything I need to be called out on, but also teach me how to be... I, w- I sat down with him and said, I want to learn how to be a healthier me and to be a healthier uh, participant in my family uh, because I have anger and resentment towards their continuing struggle. Uh, and I don't want to have any of that. Do you see this guy once a week? Once a week. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love therapy. I've gone for years and years. I ha- I'm not right now, which I've been telling him, okay, it's time. You know, you just know yeah. it's time to go back. Hey, that's why, that's why we're talking about this now. Yeah. Ultimately. <laughs> uh, I grew up in therapy. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I wanted to know about is... What does that mean, you grew up in therapy? Well, good question, Susan. Thanks, uh, Justin. So, <laughs> at, at about, just before my sixth birthday, my parents put me in to start seeing a child psychologist and I didn't that normal that's not normal no No, I don't think so well I'm not normal uh and I didn't really remember why and I'll pause there to say that I didn't really even think about this until about eight years ago when an intuitive that you referred me to Mm. said hey Janin no oh oh Karen Uh, Marianne Oh, Marianne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. At the Lotus Center. Yeah, the Lotus Center. Uh, she I know. Yeah, she knows we're talking about her right now, probably. Yeah. Uh, and she has said, hey, something happened right before you turned six. What happened? You freaked your parents out there. And so, well, I went home and asked my parents, and they were I kind of looked at each other with shock, right? Well, so now one of the things I've been doing with this therapist is totally like I know everything, all the motivations that happen. So what I learned is the reason they put me in therapy is because my dad was traveling a lot at the time. I was in the middle of a stressful relationship with mom and dad with anxiety and mom and tension. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the couch with mom one night and she has a total breakdown, starts hyperventilating. And the doctor from down the street even comes over and it was a scene in the house, apparently. Scary for a six-year-old. Exactly. My dad said he got home that night and I was, my world was rocked. I was out of control and I was really freaked out. All right, now, as a 37-year-old, the therapist says, yeah, well, first of all, that's as a child. You just saw that one of your two superheroes is now not a superhero and is unable to care for you on a deep level, okay? So she was already seeing a therapist. I start seeing the therapist across the hall. It's a child psychologist. So fast forward a handful of years, another traumatic thing that happened in my life was my dad and I had all this tension. Well, I was in Dare Club at the time, right? Like drug abuse resistance education. And in Birmingham, Alabama, mega conservative. It was all about druggies and pot and heroin and Coke and PCP. They're all the same thing. Well, I'm right before my start of my fifth grade year, I find a big bag of pot in my dad's bathroom and lose it. Uh, I immediately asked to be admitted to a children's psychiatric hospital because I didn't want to live with a, quote, druggie. Uh, I didn't want to do it. I, and so again, modern day therapist now saying, yeah, of course, well, there's your other superhero. 
that's now because of all the education that you had gotten in school is unable to be that I, I superhero. I prefer indoctrination. Sure. Indoctrination. <laughs> good. Indoctrination. Because I think cannabis is a great plant and it's not at the same level as Coke or PCP or any other stuff. Uh, but uh, they acknowledge my wishes and all of a sudden I found myself as a 9 or 10 year old uh, in the Vaughn Clinic at University of Alabama, Birmingham in this psychiatric hospital with the effed up of the effed up young people quickly realizing, damn, what the hell did I just get myself into? Wait, first of all, back up. They put you in a basically a mental institution? Yeah. Because they had pot. Because And I wanted to. I was saying, I don't want to live with these people anymore. I want to go here. I was, again, out of control what? as a child. Interesting. Uh, to hear my therapist now explain what was going on, he says, first of all, at five years old, your psychology, our psychology is so uh, plastic, right? Oh. So what it means is that at that age, you started learning that it's safe to talk about your emotions in this room on the couch with the therapist, right? That... It wasn't safe to talk about it at home because they clearly couldn't handle it at the time. And I was able to communicate and talk and talk and talk and talk. Well, that had programmed me to know that that's the safe place that I can go be open. So once that other superhero at home was gone, You're like, I wanted to go... You're like, a psychiatry place. Because that's safe. Yeah, I can go sense. be in a safe place. Man. My dad then says his memory of leaving me there because once that they, I was there, I didn't want to be there. And I was like, no, 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 don't make me stay here. And he remembers... Me looking through a mirror, imagine a glass window yeah. of a door with a little kind yeah. of like wire frame yeah. through it, the watching them leave, windows. chicken wire windows, yeah. watching them leave and them having to leave me there. And I was there for two or three weeks. I remember finishing all my schoolwork, like one week's worth in a day. Like I was clearly wasn't at the same level of all these peers that I was around. I just am trying to picture putting a highly intelligent nine-year-old into an basically an insane asylum. Yeah, you know? it was impactful. Sheesh. Um, I just want to make sure I know all the ways it was impactful. I may never know all the ways, but certainly I'm empathetic to what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, thus, I'm empathetic to my mom and want to problem solve some of the stuff she deals with. Right? Yeah. Uh, but those are two massive things that had happened in my life that therapy helps me really understand as a child. Yeah. So we start talking about that because of therapy, but. It's all related, yeah, right? What I also have learned by way of this holistic doctor is that toxicity in our body is ultimately what caused this tumor. That toxicity in our body occurs in three forms, substance, energy, and emotion. And if we have too much of that in our body, it will begin to manifest in bad ways. And what I learned is that all of our organs have two functions. They have a physical function and each one is responsible for managing one emotion. Well, guess what organ manages anger and resentment? The brain. My liver. Oh, your liver. So your liver, I and then there's. I know it's okay. <laughs> I hey, think there's no wrong answer. Liver. Yes. Well, but what I learned is that our liver only has a certain capacity, but our liver's job is to clean the blood, right? So as toxic blood because of substance. Energy and emotion enters our liver. Well, and it, alcohol is like poison, really. Yeah, I mean, if it, you get down to it. It, it clears, is a fun poison. It's a fun poison, but it's, it's a, a poison. poison. Yeah, totally. But that goes in our liver. Well, if dirty blood comes out of our liver, our body then says, well, i got to clean the blood because one of our top priorities as a body is clean blood. blood. Oxygenation. Right? Yeah. So then it starts depositing that toxicity in the cells of our body. Mm. So the first way our body responds to an out-of-balance system is with inflammation. If it stays out of balance, infection. 
autoimmune if it continues to be. And then the worst case is it begins to deposit in the physical cells of our body that can manifest in several different ways. So I had gone to this guy to say, hey, I'm having cartilage problems, my knees dislocating, I'm having ingrown hairs and these boils that won't go away, and I'm a cancer survivor and all this stuff. Well, he starts backing me up in life, and I tell him through all the stuff that happened, what I've been learning through my therapist, through all months and months of really opening my hips and yoga, and all this stuff coming out in a beautiful way. He just says, I can heal all of this. This is all related to toxicity in your body, because the most extreme way that toxicity manifests is cancer in our body. So that there was so much toxicity in my life. The reason that I started breaking out with these cystic acne and all this stuff in eighth grade is because a few years after all of that stuff that was going on because it was so much stress and toxic emotion and energy and resentment and etc. in my body, it started manifesting in all these ways. The resentment that I have toward my parents and sisters pattern of that they've been in that I told you I made those comments before surgery, that anger and resentment has been in my liver, yeah. right? And thus, it will allow this toxic stuff My childhood to be is in probably us. why I'm a celiac. I guarantee you that. Right? <laughs> well, so it, you can clean that out now. All of it, anybody listening can clean that out, right? It, it's not a permanent thing. Our bodies rejuvenate every however many days. Yeah. Right? But it, it doesn't go away on its own. Thus, we must feel through it to heal So who is the guy that said so I It's amazing. His name's Dr. Suman. He's at the Karuna Center in Berry Hill, right down the street from the Lotus Center. I'm writing that down. He's amazing. What's his name, Dr. What? Dr. Suman, S-U-M-A-N. Okay. And the Karuna Center, K-A-R-U-N-A. And it's in Berry Hill. Okay. In Nashville, Tennessee. In Nashville, Tennessee. Ooh. And... Is he a million dollars? I hate... No. That is the one thing that is frustrating when you're 40 trying... 40 bucks a follow-up session. Oh, it's amazing. When you're trying to get healed, everything that is... The best things for us, organic food. Yeah, they're expensive. You know, uh, yoga, any kind of gym membership, like all this stuff that's going to make us better and healthier, even therapy, All it's so expensive. It is. It's an elitist, health is an elitist. That's interesting. Way to be, you know. Yeah. I mean, I see And I, I don't mean that in a shitty no. way. I mean that in like, you literally have to have pile of money to 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 be this you know you yeah. can do yoga on your own i have no idea how to really do yoga i'd probably end up breaking my neck but you know what i mean yeah. to to go get the acupuncture which i'm a big fan of i love acupuncture mm-hmm. i think it's great um any of these things it's expensive it is i mean i've i'm in for almost 1500 bucks right now at the therapist and i'll likely get some of that paid back but i'm just writing the checks because i know it's good for me yeah this therapist he immediately put me on some strong liver support to detoxify my liver and some turmeric and some other things to mm-hmm. reduce inflammation yeah, in my body. Really good. We're eventually going to be doing some cleanses and other things, but it's the first time I've ever seen a doctor that looks at my entire life and being and says, it all makes sense. Here's paint the picture for you. He says, Justin, I'm, go I'm able to heal all of this wow. and we can bring everyone up to a baseline level of great health. He yeah. said, and what that means is you put anything in your stomach and your stomach is perfect. You, you you don't get upset stomach. You want to go to sleep at this time, you go to sleep at this time. You want to wake up at this time, you wake up at this time feeling fully rested. You sleep throughout the night. You do these things. He said, that is what our body is meant to do. 
And if it's not, those are out of balance systems that need an adjustment in some way. Yeah. Uh, so I've now seen him three times. Uh, I've been on the table the past two times for 20 minutes or so. I've never gotten traditionally adjusted like a normal chiropractor. A lot of energy work. And Wait, is he a chiropractor? He's a holistic chiropractor. Oh. I don't like the chiropractic things. I've no, he's not cracked one oh, okay. thing on me. I love he cracked. He won't crack you then. Uh, very loving guy. Anyway, I've learned a lot about <laughs> uh, toxicity, anger, resentment, etc. Which oh. perhaps is why I had this tumor. Did he talk about, because I know you like the dube. Did he talk to you at all about Totally cool with that. Both yeah. Vanderbilt doctors and him have no problem with cannabis at all. Uh, I limited alcohol. I cut it out for a couple of years. I've now been able to kind of reintroduce sure. it unlimited amounts. And I do enjoy a couple of beers last night. And mm-hmm. I've got a wine fridge full of amazing wine from Napa that just <gasps> begging to be sipped. <laughs> I, like uh, I know, it's so good. So, yeah, I'm I mean. I'm going to myself. <laughs> yeah, oh, you can come on over. <laughs> Go on. Go oh, on. Go on with it. The cannabis I, and the. Oh, the cannabis yeah. has been great. I yeah. mean. Ultimately, the cannabis allowed me to chill out, chill out a little bit, and even yeah. through the the whole cancer thing, certainly helped with anxiety, yeah. with nausea, with just uplifting mood. Right? I and haven't had pot since Clerks came out on video, which is like two it's decades. a long time ago. It's like two decades ago. It's changed a lot since then. I know, and I it's funny because I said to myself, I'm like, if I ever ever have pot again in my life, it's gonna have to be with Justin because he'll know like the good stuff oh, to totally. do. That won't. Organic. And, and if I start freaking out or something, then I feel like you're probably one of the few people that could talk me back down. Totally. On the ledge. First, I was telling somebody the other day. Every time I'm at a show or something, and I see kids that are all messed up, I'll always buy them a bottle of water and be like, "Hey, it's okay. Oh, just relax. It, yeah. It'll be. I've been there, bro." Oh, <laughs> so funny. oh my goodness. So yeah, water uh, is good. Water is so good for us. Yeah. All right. So I know we went off the rails a little bit, but it's also fascinating. So. You had the surgery. Yeah. You're, t- you're taking post-surgery chemo pills, right? Yeah. And radiation yeah. as well with yeah. the mask. Yeah. And you're healing. Yeah. So at this point, you're just like, I'm kicking this thing's ass. You started blogging. Yeah. And sc- By the way, what, what's the blog's name? It's just my full name.com. Justin Levinson, L-E-V-E-N-S-O-N.com. Yeah, start at the and bottom if you want to read it. And we all said, you have to write a book. You have to write a book. Yeah. And so now, the thing that... For years, I would sit down with people, and they would look for direction. Perhaps I've even said the same thing to you. You have $100 million in the bank. You can only vacation four months a year. What do you do for a job the other eight months that money doesn't matter? And many times, I go, oh, I do that. And they kind of point up to the air, and then they say, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm like, no, no, no. What was that? Right? I believe whatever that is, right, which I could probably point downstairs to the art studio or I, a couple exactly, other things. Yeah, exactly. I'm in like, your that. Right? I, yeah, this is my that. Exactly. Yeah. My that has always been, I want to go teach people about the power of positivity and how it can totally transform and manifest the life that they want. Yeah. Right? And then I was presented with an opportunity to practice what I preach because my story is not a cancer story. My story, cancer allows everyone to grab onto it because unfortunately it affects a lot of people. So but it's a, people. it's a story of life, right? And adversity and how to use positivity to manage anxiety, to create peace in your life. And if nothing else, create peace in your life, right? Because if you're going to die... And you know you're going to die. Well, wouldn't it be nice to be able to try to be as peaceful as you can before you die? And that was my outlook. Hey, if this stuff really doesn't work like I really believe it does, okay. What allows me to reduce my anxiety, to sleep better, to rest better. And I know if I rest better, I'm healing better. So therefore, it's working at at a baseline level. 
so I just started documenting the journey. Initially, my intuition just kept saying center and document. Uh, one of the first lessons that came from that is judge less, love more. And I would been thinking that, saying that, and I find myself at coffee early in this experience with a really wise older friend of mine. He says, Justin, that's beautiful. But what I'm really hearing you say is that you're loving yourself more and you're judging yourself less. That's amazing. Amazing. Because what I realized is all my insecurities were the same things that I subconsciously judged all these other people about without even realizing it. That's and I'm such do. an open mind. Yeah, that's right? what we do. She's skinny, she's fat, I'm fat, she's skinny, I'm this, she's that, he's that, we are that, whatever. Right? And so then I would find myself, as soon as I do that, I just want to send them love in my mind. Right? So that was the first thing. I do this just writing, journaling, etc. that kind of came out. The other thing that I've been doing that really nobody's seen except one or two people have seen a few of them, I've been talking to my video camera on my phone oh. over 80 times. I have over 80 video journals over the past two and a half years documenting this entire thing. That's great. Chemo, radiation, losing my hair, getting my hair back. The eyebrows stayed the same. They did. They did. <laughs> Big, bushy, and in need of a little wax so they don't grow into one. Uh, and it was really, really great. And ultimately what that led to is this feeling of, what am I going to do with my life? Mm -hmm. But I was still had a head wound telling people, I'm going to go teach people, I'm going to speak to people, I'm going to inspire people, parentheses, I really don't know how yet, but I'm going to go do all that. You don't know how. Isn't that funny? Because it's all you ever have done. Oh, thank you. It's true. Uh, well, let me, the better question. I'm, I'd love to be able to, that's my answer, sorry, to that question of, you yeah, know, I to understand. do that, right? And the... The reformed answer now is I want to go help people be more awesome than they think they can be. And I want to do that by helping them tap into their intuition and learn how to use the power of positivity. Right. Uh, that's what I want to do. And I think that has applications in the business world and in the inspirational speaking world and just my relationships with other people. Uh, I was in an interview the other day and the guy said, you know, you're definitely an inspiring guy. And he had said other comments, but it was like, okay, I know I'm doing that today. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and it ultimately what it led is I had this amazing job at CSAC. CSAC is an amazing company and they are like family and have done nothing but shower me with love. But I knew that at some point it was time to do different things and learn different things and maybe sit in a different box or maybe not sit in one office box all day and just do one thing. And when I came back to work, I promised myself that I wouldn't let myself get frustrated again with kind of the corporate life, which is beautiful in many ways, but in some ways I was kind of feeling drawn to something different. Well, uh, through that, one day early this year, 2016, I'm driving to work for the first time and uh, for my new home, excuse me, I bought a new home on East Nashville, on the east side in East Nashville, and I'm talking to my dad. And my dad's always been this guy to like really say what needs to be said. And he said, Justin, let me, before you go into work, let me just stop you. And he says, you should be the happiest dude in Nashville. You're two years out of brain surgery, almost a year out of chemotherapy. You got recruiters calling you, offering you jobs. You just bought a brand new home in Nashville. But yet all you've done all morning is tell me how miserable you are with your job. So what the F are you going to do about that? Well, that day I decided I'm leaving CSAC July 1 at the latest. I had a wedding in Costa Rica, South by Southwest conference, our fiscal year end bonus. I thought, all right, I'm going to do those things and I'm going to leave. And I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I know that I'm not supposed to be here anymore. And man, the world just started lighting up and opening up in beautiful ways. 
so I left my job in June, partly because it was time to do something else in life and go on to new challenges, but partly also because I just looked at death and thought, damn, if I die, I don't want to die sitting knowing I'm not fulfilled, right? Again, nothing negative ever to say about CSAC, but more so about where I am in my journey and what stimulates me. So yeah. the thought of if I die tomorrow, which I don't think I'm going to do, but if I were, I don't want to die knowing that I just like, came from work, right? And the, that doesn't fulfill me, yeah. right? On a deeper level. Uh, I want to at least I'd be happier knowing I'm dying in search of joy, right? And what really fires me up. Because I, as thankful as I am for everything that that job over 15 and a half years at that company taught me, I mean, tremendous. I'm just this kid from Alabama who quit college and went on the road to play drums. And like, I found myself being mentored by such brilliant minds. This is beautiful. But it's time, and it is time, and it has been time to go do something else. And Do you get in your own way still? I think probably I could a little bit. Uh, I think somebody asked me last night, are you afraid of commitment? I don't want to be. I hope I'm not. Uh, I think I've, many times in my life I've perhaps looked at, like, what if? Like, and is there something better? Or like, there's commercial recently, like, FOMO, fear of missing out or missing something better. I don't want to be. I really want... Well, the grass is greenest where you water it. Exactly. Exactly. And so... Uh, I don't want to shy from commitment or taking a leap. Like I really, I want to, and I think I'm probably getting ready to hell quitting my job and leaving was a, a leap in itself. Cause I think everybody has that job or that something that they feel drawn to take a leap from, uh, for and me, it's terrifying. of course it's terrifying. Cause it, it, you know, it's like, all right, there's a sign above the urinal in this bathroom in a building I go to often on music row and it's got one circle and it says, your comfort zone. And then it's got another circle outside of it says where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> it's so awesome. Uh, because it's that simple. And it's like you got, everybody has that thing or that person or that situation or whatever that you're thinking, all right, I need to take a step out from that. Uh, so if anything, I think my story can show you that it's not always easy to do that. Uh, but it's the right thing to do. Uh, someone said to me, Justin, everybody has a CSAC. That's part of your story. You leaving that is part of what's going to inspire people to leave their version of CSAC. You're leaving a beautiful thing. It's not like you're leaving trash. It's like, God, this is an amazing company, amazing people. It's like a family. All right. It makes it even harder time. to leave. Yeah. Right? Because uh, it's like, in addition to like, it pays your bills in a consistent way, it's like there's an emotional attachment to the company, to the people, uh, to the mission, all those things. Uh, I was living that. But also I was living that and it was perhaps beginning to get toxic going back to what we said, not because of what they were doing, but because it, in my own stirring, it was like, all right, this isn't right. I need to go do something else. And I was a little afraid, yeah. right? Maybe I was a lot of afraid. Right. Uh, hell, I joke, but it's true. Like, yeah, I just quadrupled my house nut and bought a new house and then quit my job. Right. Great, well, man. I know that that was the right move. I'm, even as I sit here today, I'm a little, we were just talking about it, a little unsure exactly where I'm going. I'm flattered that there's a lot of opportunity, but it's still like the balance of joy, passion, what I feel called to do, need to pay bills, trusting that that's coming, et cetera. It's like, okay, uh, it's a risk, uh, but I, come on, that's living. Uh, and that feels right to me. And so I believe that in addition to things I can teach people about maybe counting their breathing or affirmations or chorus of positivity and several other things, it's also maybe inspire people to say, hey, 
you can leave that too, right? You can go drive Uber too, or you can go find peace in this situation. And you can turn that frown upside down and still have cancer, right? Or still know you're going to lose someone close to you because they are suffering. Uh, or know that you lost your dog, right? But then all of a sudden, my guess is you felt more love from more people. It in was those extraordinary. We- right? In the weeks and months after that, yeah. which, you know, I'd hate to say you have to lose something or someone to experience that, but how amazing is that, that in your moment of tremendous loss, you've probably felt more love than you had in recent yeah. memory, if not ever. Yeah. Uh, right. Same with me. In my moment of, like, you know, shit hitting the proverbial fan in my life, and the thing that I feared the most of cancer... Because you you know you see people with cancer and they die or they're bald headed in a in, with a chemo bag or whatever it is that's the picture I had right uh, but in that moment I feel more love than I'd ever felt. Do you think if you hadn't had the tumor, where do you think you'd be right now? Would you still be at seaside? Do you think this all would have? That's do you a think question. would you have been ready to leap? I don't think I would have. I think it was part of what kicked me in the ass out. I also do believe though it's what gave me a story that everyone can relate to in some different way. Uh, So I believe it was all part of my path to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Because whether I'm on stage talking about my story or talking to a team or a person that I manage or a friend that I'm just hanging with, whatever, it inspires them. It helps them. They all take what they need. Uh, So I, I think it's not a cancer story, but I'm lucky that it is a cancer story, right? Because... It's all like people can grab onto it. Yeah. And it's an example of that thing. One of those things in our society that we as a society probably fear the most. Cancer. Cancer is a big Hashtag thing. cancer sucks. You see it everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, all right. I'm not saying it doesn't suck for some people. For all of us, it may have its sucky moments. Yeah. All right. But you know what? A lot of things can have sucky moments for us. And they can also be what leads us to bliss and joy. Absolutely. Amen, brother. Ah, I love it. Oh, and I gurgled. Oh, that sounds good, but that's real. My stomach grumbled earlier. I don't know if the mic picked it up. Uh, it may have. The air conditioning so loud, too, when it kicks on. It's, you know, it's all part of it. It's, hey, it's, it's organic and lovely and wonderful. It's and cool. I'm sitting here watching the fall foliage sway in the breeze behind you. It's so neat. It's nice. Yeah, I sit in my living room and I watch the tree shed. That one in front of you is super bright. I know. It's the best. And people are always like, why do you not have curtains on your windows? I'm like, I don't need them, I guess. I have nothing to hide. Yeah. If someone wants to look in at me, that's fine. I still pull my shades down some. You do? Yeah. I just don't. I don't knock it to hide because I'm I'm still like... I'm also in a kind of quiet area too, so... I always say, if somebody wants to look at my boobies, then so be it. You know, leave a fiver on the doorstep at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always said, hey, if people would pay me to take off my clothes, damn, I'd do that all the time. People would pay you to take off your clothes. Is there a male review in town? I don't think so. Oh, okay. If you find people that want to pay me to take off my clothes, let me know. I'll give you $5. No. <laughs> I'm not that cheap. I know. <laughs> uh, anyway, Justin, you're the bestest. I don't know where to... I mean, I could probably talk to you all day about all this stuff. It's great. Um, are you are you still maintaining the blog? Are you still- uh, I haven't updated the blog in a, a little bit. Okay. So, it, but you got big plans. In the I works. have big plans. So I I don't really know what they are, yeah. but I know like when people in my life have said I feel called to something, I always look at them and like, huh, I don't really get that uh, until now. 
Yeah. Because I feel called to go share my story and be in service to other people. How are you getting out of your own way in that service? Uh... Self-sabotage is a big part of the human condition. It is. How am I getting out of my way? Well, I'm saying yes. If everybody asks me to come talk, I'm saying yes. Yes. Uh, and fingers crossed, I may get asked to do a TEDx talk. If not, the fact that they're even considering me is I massively mean, flattering. That would be exceptional. So, certainly You'd be great at that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I would say that... Um, so Gilded's Club in Nashville. Gilded's Club is a nationwide organization, but I've been a member of their young adult cancer group. And mm -hmm. I got brought into that by my doctors suggesting that I work with a social worker at Vanderbilt because I really want to give back. And, and this was early on in my journey. I was always talking about wanting to help other people, wanting to give back, etc. cetera. Uh, and so Gilded's has asked me to come speak at a few different events. Wonderful. And the first time was an impromptu about a year ago at this young professional organization. And I was at Ten Roof and Gilded's Club started this new young professional thing and have happy hours for young people to help raise money for Gilda's Club. It's a beautiful thing. I just wanted to go support. I'm standing there. I said, hey, would you get up and tell your story? First time I'd ever been asked to tell my story in public. And of course, I'm in Tin Root. For, for those who don't know, it's a bar that's like mainly kind of a 20s to early 30s something bar. Great, great bar food and a good bar scene, whatever. And I'm standing there and I kind of make some comment about <laughs> standing in this bar where I used to make so many bad decisions. Here we are. I'm gonna to, <laughs> let me tell you about some good ones I've made lately. And... That's uh, there was a lot of young people there and they signed up for that organization. Well, three, four weeks ago, I got an email from this amazingly sweet young woman saying, Hey, we would love for you to come speak at our annual recruitment event for this organization because last year I joined because of you and your story was so inspiring, etc." So last week, week before last, I'm back on Demumbrian at a different bar talking to about 40 to 50 young people about my story. And it was the most fun thing I've done. Just as fun as it was talking at the Gilda's Club dinner in front of 400 people or at their big Steve Cropper golf tournament in front of a tent full of golfers post-tournament. It was amazing. It's the most fun thing I ever get to do. So that tells me I'm supposed to go do that. Yeah. Right? Because that is more fun than anything else. It's wonderful. Uh, that makes me so happy. I'm thank glad you. I'm you're doing that. It's have really you, great. Have you read Gilda's book? No. It's incredible. Really? I can't think of the name right now. It's something like it's not that funny. It's got a funny kind of ironic title. Yeah. Um, and she wrote it when she was diagnosed. Oh, wow. Yeah, and was dying. And it's an exceptional book. I wish I could. I'll look it up and put it on my links page on the Hey Human okay. Podcast. Yeah, I want to check it out. Yeah. Because I do know there's a book in my future. I know that some of this content is going to see the light of the day. I'm not exactly sure how. No doubt. Uh, and I, I had that dream of you way back when, when you were diagnosed and you were, and I think it was post-surgery. I had a dream that you were in this auditorium and you were talking to all those people. I think I told you about that. Maybe you did. I'm sure I did. Yeah, I don't remember um, that, but wow. Yeah. I see it. I can see it as clear as day. Yeah. And I will tell you that if you hear my story and you hear me talk, you're probably going to cry a little bit. You're going to laugh a ton. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to leave feeling fired up, right? And looking at probably something that you could have done better and looking forward to some things that you know you are going to do better. And when I spoke at the big Gilda's Club dinner. It was the first like, official thing. I'm on the, the program and I was their patient speaker. Yeah. And I followed their exiting executive director, their founding executive director. This was kind of her going away, yeah. changing of the guard. And just as I envision it, I'm standing there and I'm talking and all of a sudden, as I get done, the crowd erupts in a standing ovation and I am looking at people through this talk 
crying on the front row. Oh my god! Laughing a lot. Yes. And they gave me a standing ovation and shower me with these compliments that are so humbling and amazing. And I could walk away from there feeling higher than I've ever gotten on any substance, knowing that that was the most fun thing I've ever done. Okay, I got to do that. Yes. <laughs> I want. How do I go do more of that? Well, that's a question too. So, Gilda, I was looking up really quick while you were saying it. Gilda Radner's book is called It's Always Something. Okay. It's exceptional. All right. It's a really great book. Noted. So, the next yeah. book I'm just start reading is When Breath Becomes Air. Oh, I have that. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. I, yeah. I just read the foreword. It sounds amazing. Yeah. So, I can't yeah. wait. Um, he just said something that was going to... Oh, man. My, my train. Um, About speaking at the dinner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... and Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. So, I mean, I've known you a long time, and I know, yeah. again, I'm bringing up cannabis. So I know you, you like the cannabis. Yeah. And have you found now that you're in this sort of new phase of life that you don't smoke it as much? Uh, no. I, I still it's like to smoke thing. it. Yeah. Uh, but I find my... Actually, I find myself a little bit, like, not having to smoke it all the time. Uh, I'm curious if it was more that maybe a self-medicated anxiety medicine for you before you even knew that you had all this anxiousness. Oh, totally. And that now that you're sort of more centered and... And all that, that you don't find you're needing to do it as much, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't... It's more of a desire. Yeah. I enjoy uh, a little bit of the buzz and yeah. the relaxing nature of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that. You know, you hit on something that I did, I forgot to bring up, but that I didn't know what anxiety was until it got to such a level through taking chemo and all that stuff that I really realized, well, damn, marijuana's probably been helping me manage my anxiety naturally Absolutely. through the years, and I've just never had to, like, get to a level where I thought I needed prescription medicines or anything like that to manage it. The I, Nothing against prescription meds because I did take some of those anti-anxiety pills at certain nights to help me sleep. Again, going back to the more I rest, the better I heal. And when I would take chemo, my chemo regimen was basically for that year, five weeks on, the rest of the month off. Five weeks on. And so every night, it you know, no matter I could, my mantra was, my body is responding perfectly to treatment. I will emerge healthier, happier, and more empowered to do great things. There's a video of me doing that on my blog where I'm actually taking chemo. And I would say that, and then I would down the chemo pills, and I'd be off. Well, even on my last time taking chemo, it was still intense. I'm like, damn, I'm taking chemo. And I'm sitting here in my house all by myself, and I'm taking chemo. And so sometimes I would take the anti-anxiety meds then uh, just to help me sleep. Yeah. Because I would, when I took those, like whoever made them, they work. Because uh, <laughs> I've never like, taken any, so I don't know what they. I don't want to take them anymore, but and I haven't taken them in two years or whatever they it was. Just chill you in. Beta, Man, they're beta blockers. Right? I would so wake up in the same on my back and the, without any of the covers moved, where I just slept. Oh my gosh. Still all night. Crazy. Yeah, That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, I, I woke up feeling so rested, and so it was really good. So. There is a time and place for those kind of pharmaceuticals. And the doctors would say, Justin, relax. Because I'd be like, no, no, no. I've had people in my life that have taken too many of these and I don't want to take them. And said, trust me, you're not going to take too many of them. The fact that you didn't say that, you're yeah. not going to take too many of them. Yeah. And these things are here you for a reason. You had anxiety about anxiety pills. No shit, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't, I, you know, perception is reality. My perception was you could take yeah. too many of these and like lose your sense of self. Yeah, uh, So I didn't. And But no, cannabis, to go back to that question, I think it's still, I certainly have 
ebbs and flows of anxiety certainly can help manage that naturally now. Mm -hmm. In addition, it's a nice mood uplifter. Mm -hmm. I do think there are other medical benefits that are continuing to come out about cannabis. Yeah. Uh, I've heard it helps stave Alzheimer's because it forms a, a, like a puffy cloud over your brain cells, which one would think that's not good, but it's why I'm levitating right now. Yeah, Apparently it's helping. It helps a barrier to keep whatever is causing Alzheimer's from getting in. Which is fascinating. That's sort of, turn some things on their ears. I read wow. a lot about it. Uh, I'm very fascinated by it. I just don't smoke it yeah. or eat it or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Hey, I mean, uh, to each their own. Yeah. Uh, totally. For me... I have no qualms with it whatsoever, no, no. but I always like to ask the questions. Yeah. No, you should. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my ex-girlfriend doesn't smoke. Right? Yeah. I didn't smoke. So I found myself, like, I don't really smoke as much yeah. when I'm around her or sure. when I was around her. Yeah. She's a beautiful soul. I can't say anything bad about her. She just doesn't smoke marijuana. Yeah, so, sure. all right, I didn't smoke marijuana. And thus, I didn't really smoke it downstairs in my den when I knew she was coming over because I was trying to be respectful. Sure. That said, she didn't mind. And, yeah, sure. Uh, but it's just, it is funny that when, it's kind of like, I always say, oh, I'm not really a swearer. But when I'm around people that swear, I swear more. If, yeah. I'm not really a drinker. But if there's people around me that are drinking... Maybe I'll have one more than I would normally or something. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's that one in Rome thing. Not totally. that I'm a follower. It's just, I think you just, a natural instinct to become part of a pack. Yeah. We're pack animals. Yeah, we mostly, are. Even if I do call myself a little a loner. loner. I am a loner. I am, I am. I sometimes I'm say I'm an, I'm an introverted extrovert. That's exactly what I am. Because I love to be alone sometimes. I do too. Uh, but I also I, I thrive on people. I was telling my friend earlier yeah. today, I, I can't wait to go out and see some friends today. I need to be around my friends. I just yeah. thrive on people. Yeah. So I'm going to a wedding and it's like, all right, how soon can I, is it tactful to leave a wedding oh, I, to I, go I, hang out with my friends? I'm always trying to escape weddings, but yeah, I, I really enjoy strangers. I very much enjoy strangers. So that's a very introverted extrovert thing to do because I can, I love hearing people's stories, Yeah. but I, you know, I, I like to be alone too. Those are earplugs. Yeah, they're in my pocket. I was like, what is that? Earplugs. Those are either tiny butt plugs or earplugs. <laughs> I, I, I got a big old booty. That's not going to work. <laughs> Justin, I love you. I love you too. Thank you for being on Thanks here. for having me. Yay. And uh, I'll put, like I said, links to everything on my HeyHumanPodcast.com. And yeah. I'll share and retweet and reshare. Heck yeah, you Let's will. Let's see how many likes we can get. How many <laughs> views? Do you track your views and stuff? Uh, I do keep track because... Um, I look at the metrics, you know, every week and see how people, the more people review it on iTunes and share it and just listen, the higher up you get in the, and you know, I'd I'd love for lots of people to hear this stuff. Yeah. I think it's important. I love that you just said metrics. Oh. (laughs) The amazing artistic mind just said metrics. I love that. Words are cool. All right. I love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.